Hey friends, welcome to another amazing episode of Living a Limitless Life. You know I like to bring you content that asks the hard questions, that causes you and I to look at ourselves and say, what could we do to be better? Well, in this episode, we're going to be talking with an expert about what does great look like if you are great right now. This is epic. And before we jump into the episode, I just want to remind you that my book, The Girl in the Garage, is coming out in just a few months. And if you'd like to know more about it, go to SharonHughes.net forward slash The Girl in the Garage, and all the details are there. Grab a pen and paper. You're absolutely going to need it for this episode. It is truly a masterclass. So let's get started. Hey there, you're listening to the Living a Limitless Life podcast. I'm Sharon Hughes, and on this show, we talk about mastering your mindset, growing your faith, and becoming the leader you want to be with tips, strategies, and interviews to help you create a life you love. I'm really glad you're here. So come on, let's go. Joining me on the show today is someone that I'll just preface it with telling you, I have personal bias. Cy Wakeman, if you have not heard of her, you will not forget her after today. She is a drama researcher, folks. You heard that right, drama researcher. She is also the president and founder of Reality Based Leadership. She is a global thought leader, host of No Ego Podcast. She is a New York Times bestselling author. I could go on and on about her accomplishments, but let's just bring her on. Welcome, Sai. Thank you. I hope I live up to all that marketing that you just did. (laughs) (laughs) I know you will. So before we went live, I told Sai that I had binged at least 20 hours of her YouTube content, which will be linked below for your binging pleasure as well. (laughs) Awesome. Sai, so you have got some crazy stories, things that have happened in your life, but you know how to ditch the drama. So let's jump right in and folks grab a pen and paper because you're going to need to take notes. Class is definitely in session. Class is in session. You know, the um, first thing I always want to make sure people know it's kind of mind blowing is that they should stop believing everything they think. Mm. And so when, when people come to the, the Psy altar and they want a little teaching, um, the first thing I blow their minds with is if you don't know this already, you are not the thinker. You're the one observing the thinking. And that blows people's minds. They're like, mm. no, I'm pretty sure I'm the thinker. Mm-hmm. And I always say, you know, when you wake up in the morning, check it out for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Do you wake up and then go, I am going to commence thinking now. Or are you already being thought? And that's important because that being thought, that that thing always running in your head is the voice of your ego. It's a color commentator and it's very corrupted data and you will be super stressed, believing you're a victim, limited in your belief system if you don't separate out the thinker from the observer. Wow, that is so powerful. Let's jump into a couple of scenarios that you've walked through in real life and explain how you go from the observer to the thinker. Why don't you tell your story? Yeah. So where this became really clear to me, so I was doing things like the Course of Miracles and I was in some therapy and I was getting out of... um, 
a relationship that I was done learning those lessons um, from. I was ready to move on to what was next for me. And so all this stuff was really forefront in my mind. And I um, took a gig, I do speaking and training, where somebody wanted me to lead hikes. And if people follow me, they get that I'm a hiker. I love hiking. Um, we're doing Kilimanjaro um, this summer with my boys. And so I took that gig and I am up on top of this mountain. We're hiking, talking about leadership and the view is spectacular. The company is amazing. I was hiking with a team that had helped Google map the human genome. So I'm literally on top of this mountain and I think listeners can relate where you just have one of those blissful moments. You're like, I have won life's lottery. I cannot believe they pay me to do this. Like I would do this, don't tell them for free. Like if I die tomorrow, I'm good. It was that moment, right? And so it was time to lead on. So I go and, uh, and, and turn to lead forward. And out of the corner of my eye, I see something squiggly on the path. Mm. The minute I saw squiggly, I thought the thought, snake. Mm-hmm. And everything changed. I went from heaven to hell. I went from, I can't believe they pay me to do this job to they don't pay me enough to do this crappy job. Same job, same path, same team. Heaven to hell with a single thought. And that was just an amazing insight for me because then I watched myself go through the process. Once I thought the thought, that's a snake, everything changed. My breathing changed. I started to hyperventilate. I had major organ systems shutting down. I, my mind was racing. I was imagining my own death. In just these few seconds, like I saw myself getting bit, being life flighted off the mountain. I saw my kids finding out about my death. I saw all my secrets coming out. And what I mean by secrets is like my kids, I imagine them sad. They're going to be like, I can't believe mama's dead. dead. And then one of them is going to say, well, how'd she die? And they're like, well, she, she, she couldn't save herself. And they're like, well, what? How could that be true? And here's the reason that this will be a mean secret coming out. I'm panicking. I'm hyperventilating. I need a plan. All I can remember is a John Wayne movie I saw. And in that John Wayne movie, he got bit by the snake in his hand. And I watched this when I was a little girl. It made a profound impact. It's coming as my last thought of my life. He, to save himself, pulled out his pocket knife, cut an X in his hand, and sucked the venom and the blood out of the sight on his hand of the bite, spit it out, saved his own life. And this is really all I have in my head as a plan. Good news, I have a pocket knife. I have my hand on my pocket knife. I'm ready to perform major surgery on myself. I can do this. And so I'm going through the motions. I'm like, if I get bit, it's going to be in the ankle. I just got to put an X in my ankle. I can do that. And then I just got to suck my ankle. It's where my plan fell apart. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. I wonder if the guy from Google will suck my ankle in an emergency. And that's where I started thinking of my kids. Because they're going to be like, how'd my mom die? Well, she couldn't suck her own ankle. And my kids are going to be like, that's impossible. Because my mother went to yoga every Saturday for 18 years. And folks, I'm here to tell you. That's the lie. I confess that every year or every Saturday for 18 years, I get up and I put on yoga clothes that have never been to yoga. And I go to the club where they do teach yoga. 
but it's a country club. So instead of going to yoga class to the right, I go to the left and drink Bloody Marys with my girlfriends. And then I come home. And now that's going to be the story of my death. Somehow I managed to move forward with all this craziness going on in my head. And I see that the snake is just a rope off someone's saddlebag. And I would ask you, because this is my big lesson, what caused my stress? Was it that all-concerning deadly rope? Or was it my thinking, my story, my speculation, my drama? Is, was it me unquestionably believing my thinking? Of course, it wasn't the rope. It was my story. And that coalesced, oh, so much of the work I was studying where if only I had a question like, what do I know for sure? I could release the ego's grip on my world. And that question would just free me up to walk through the world, not with my story, but with my reality, because our stress often is not from our reality. Our reality is not harsh. If I ask the question, what do I know for sure? I will see reality as it is. And as it is, it's never really as bad as we make it out to be. And that really began my path of what I call the three questions. And that first question is, what do I know for sure? Because it can change everything without changing anything. It can take an ex-husband who's trying to steal my kids and violate the custody agreement. And that one question of inquiry applied to that story turns that man into a father asking for an extra day with his kids. And that question brings peace to most of my life. That one question where I just stop believing everything I think. Mm. That is such a good story. And of course, I'm over here dying while you're telling it because it's so <laughs> hilarious at the same time. It is like the, the you could tell that story and multiply it by 20. That is my life. If you ever wonder, Cy Wakeman's life, it's complicated. And I just want to know, have you learned your lesson and are you actually going to yoga classes yes. instead of drinking? <laughs> I actually go to yoga retreats. I, okay. I tell people I'm sober <laughs> curious now. I'm sober curious. I'm sober curious about what it would be like to go to yoga instead of Bloody Marys. And I find it to be a much more fulfilling experience. Maybe you could do yoga and then have the Bloody Mary as like your That's reward. Exactly. That's true too. <laughs> That's so good though. I mean, we do get caught up in our story. We, we have like the glimpse, the glimpse of what was <clears throat> squiggly on the trail. And then it, it's just the same thing as information. We have a glimpse of information and yeah. we immediately react on it. It's so good. And that part of the mind that I call ego loves certainty over accuracy. Ooh. And this is an important thing to know because you walk by me and don't say hello. I don't know what's going on. Eyewitness reports are horrible. I don't even know if you didn't say hello, but my right. ego wants certainty, even not if in, in the face of inaccuracy. So my ego to feel better will make something up. And because we're wired for anxiety, it will make up something negative. And the problem with that is if I move to certainty, is that I'm co-creating out of that. Mm. And so now I'm co-creating with inaccurate information. And we're always co-creating. The, the observer effect in science says that even just by observing an experiment affects the experiment. So if you don't think you're always co-creating, just you're observing something changes its, um, its path. Like 
So if you walk by me and don't say hello, my ego, can, it doesn't like to live with ambiguity. It doesn't like to be in what the, the, the Buddhists call beginner's mind. If you were a good Buddhist, you'd go, oh, walk by noted, potential no hello. I'm good with uncertainty. Don't attach, conserve my energy, move on, add value. Mm-hmm. Do that. When we're in mm-hmm. ego, we're being played by our ego. We go, oh, I know what this is about. Ever since she got that promotion, she thinks she's all that in a bag of chips and she can't mm. talk to the little people. She's rude. That's what I'm certain about. She's rude. And in fact, if I complained to four other people and told them my version of the story, they'd agree with me. They'd also reinforce they're certain she's rude. And once I believe she's rude, I treat her rudely and she responds rudely. And I go, see, I'm right about stuff I make up. Mm. And so a way to break that habit is when you need certainty, if you need it, if you can't live in ambiguity, take your power of co-creation very seriously and give people benefit of the doubt, Mm -hmm. mercy, grace, tolerance. Why? Not for them, but because you're Mm co-creating. So if you want to find me and didn't say hello, and I need certainty, I'm going to do us both a favor and assume positive intent. I'm going to just, for certainty, create a story that you are so deep in prayer and meditation for peace in our world that you didn't see me. Mm. And then I'm going to move from that certainty to actions towards you, which is, gosh, can I sit by you at lunch? How are you in this world and not of this world? I'd love to just soak in your, your aura. And you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I think you're a great person. And we're going to have this great conversation. Same walk by. I had impact because I was able to bypass my ego's need for certainty by being in ambiguity, beginner's mind, Mm -hmm. or I was able to bypass my ego's need for certainty by co-creating from a positive, tolerant, merciful base. Either way, I did the world a favor and our happiness comes from our behaviors and our actions. I did me a favor. And Mm -hmm. so it's like, I really want people to understand the grip your ego has on most of what you're creating in your life, which is what you talk about with the amazing look at your belief systems and how they limit you. So basically, that's so good. Sorry, I'm just trying to take it all in. I'm writing notes as you're talking. (laughs) I talk fast, people. So you have to slow this down, slow the podcast down to like half speed. They're just going to have to listen to it three times and make sure that they get all the takeaways. So really, you could just stay curious. If you, so say you and I work together and I've known you a while, you did get promoted and maybe I wanted that promotion and I didn't get it. Then you walk by and you don't say hello. And I take it as, ah, she beat me out on that job. Uh-huh. And now we're opponents. And we're opponents. Michael Bungie Sanger, if you haven't read his stuff in The Coaching Habit, he's amazing. And you can use this on other people or on yourself. His line on my podcast I fell in love with is, what would your world be like if you just stayed curious Mm -hmm. one minute longer? Mm. Just stayed curious one minute longer. Just stayed open to perhaps I don't know. And um, I think it's life-changing staying curious because let's say she got a promotion I wanted. I can stay curious to um, 
watch what she did and maybe do what she did. I could stay curious and ask for her mentorship. I could stay curious and understand what the universe had in store for me that it closed that door. Like there's a hundred ways to stay curious about that situation Mm -hmm. that don't involve suffering because the suffering part is optional. You know, the Dalai Lama says, if you're suffering and can fix it, fix it. So if you want a promotion, you didn't get one, go find out why not and grow those skill sets so they will promote you. If you're suffering and you can fix it, fix it. Otherwise, if you're suffering and it can't be fixed, why suffer? Just Because the human it. nature is it's so much more convenient just to sit here and suffer. Yeah. People love the third option. People are like, I'm like, well, if it's fixable, fix it, go for it. Yeah, but I shouldn't have to. I don't want to. I'm like, well, then exactly. don't suffer. And they're yeah. like, well, no, I want to not do anything and I want to not accept it and I want to just vent about it. And I'm like, well, you, you are going to live a miserable life. So if that happened to me, I think I would circle back to you and go, hey, how's it going with the promotion? You know, do you need help yeah. with anything? Yeah. And maybe find out you're like, oh my gosh. I've been preparing for a meeting all week and I have to deliver it and I don't have everything I need. I'm not ready. I'm dying. And I I can (laughs) tell you, um, my best connections are when people moved out of their assumptions about me Mm -hmm. and just came to connect with me and were helpful, helpful, generous, and kind. You know, a lot of people, they see me on stage in front of a few thousand people and they're like, oh, you know, that's sigh. And I can't tell you the number of people that just don't connect and offer kindness. Like you're in a new city. Do you want any ideas on a good place for delivery tonight? Like, but we make all these assumptions and assumptions and judgment are what separate us out. And then we feel lonely and disconnected Mm -hmm. from the world. And we feel like the world excluded us, but I would tell you your own judgments have you stepping down and isolating from the world because the world is abundant and limitless and fantastic. And whenever I'm not feeling part of the source, it's because I've stepped out of the natural order of things through my judgment, through my divisiveness, through my believing my own thinking. Yeah, wow. So if I'm in pain, I just check my story. That's so smart, so smart. Thank you for that. She's got more people, don't go away. (laughs) You don't even want to stop to sip your coffee, just keep writing notes. (laughs) Okay, how does this play out in the workplace with leadership? When you've got those leaders that they're they're toeing the line with with the higher-ups and they're trying to do things that maybe in their heart of hearts, they don't truly believe in, but they can't be honest. (laughs) It's that big can of worms of here I am. I can't be honest. I'm reporting to, you know, the CFO. He's not emotionally available, certainly doesn't want to hear any of the challenges I'm facing because he believes like your butt's in that seat for a reason, go solve it. But you are stuck. You are stuck like super glue. <laughs> how do you how do you respond? Like how do you respond? Is it, is it the do that? you stay or do you go? The the ever question. First of all, um, I would write down your story. If I were this person, I would write my story down. I am stuck. The CFO is not interested in the truth. I can't tell the truth. I'm forced to lie. No one cares about consciousness. Um, the deck is stacked against me. I would just write all that down and I would get busy on inquiry 
what do I know to be true? Can I absolutely know that to be true? Mm -hmm. Because the first thing you need to do for your own happiness is stop judging and start helping. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us justify our stepping down in life by the story we create. Um, I can't be honest. Is that true? No, it's not true. I can be honest. Um, when I'm honest, I am punished. Is that true? Well, when I'm honest and at my wit's end and making allegations, it's not received well. Okay, now you're getting closer to the truth. Like reality, if I'm in that job, the only reality I have is because um, I can't possibly know the mind of another. I can't know their motives. People are like, the culture is toxic. It doesn't allow for this culture in today's world is just our agreed upon reasons, stories, and excuses for why we get to be a victim. And when you're in low self, you will believe that your circumstances are the reasons you can't succeed. Mm -hmm. When you're an ego, you're the victim. There are villains. When you're in high self and you're out of ego, you're beyond ego, you can see that there's tons of options to plug and play. All have risk, all have consequences. The way of the world is that an emotion is met with a counter you know, resistance. It's just, we can't find a world where you can be honest and everyone guarantees loves you for it. Right. You're trying to play in, in a different world. So for me, I would get really honest and it would probably come down to I, um, my current strategies for expressing my ideas to my CFO have not yet been met with the response I prefer or hope for. Mm. That is and, good. And, and just sit with that because that's your only reality is right. that you have your preferences. Um, you know, who needs God when we have you? Because you know how to run the company and you know what a CFO should be. And it's like how of a big arrogant position that is. And when you're in arrogance, there's only win-lose in the world and you'll lose as much as you win. I prefer a win-win in the world. And moving on that arrogance, I just have some work to do. And I would stop judging. Most people are like, yeah, but what if you work in a culture that's like this? I'm like, stop judging. You show up every day, you float some ideas, some are received, some aren't. But Sai, I was left a mess by the past executive team. Folks, every executive goes in, there's problems to solve, everything's figure outable. Mm. It had nothing to do with your past. Every executive I know, 200 companies I'm in each year, come to work and they have problems to solve and their solutions will be somebody else's problems. It's stepping out of that righteousness and judgment. Mm -hmm. And once you know what you know for sure, your natural inclination is helping and you'll just start going, what could I do to help? So if I have a boss who wants to look good to their boss, if that's their goal, and by the way, forgive them because it's all of our goals. Everybody yeah. wants to look good to their boss. Right. <laughs> to start helping them. I would go to the CFO and I would say, um, what can I do to hit all your marks and help you achieve the um, goals you want to achieve to be rewarded by your boss? What can I do? Mm. And then listen for your ego because they'll go, well, you could give me a better bottom line. That's why you're in that position. And my ego will go, yeah, but besides that. <laughs> it's like right. if you're in that position, the guy needs a better bottom line, deliver a better bottom line. Listen to the ego. Yeah, but that just means I don't care about people. Nope, you made that up. There's a sweet spot called and. You need a better bottom line. And I'm very skilled and I have expertise in knowing how to do that. 
um, while leaving people's dignity intact. So I will find and I'll treat people well and it'll be a better bottom line. But most of us focus on why we can't and why we shouldn't have to. Mm-hmm. And you need to manage your energy into how you could. Mm-hmm. And here's my advice to people. If you're there, stop judging, start helping. If you're in a position, go all in, stay in joy, make it happen. Now, you don't have to give up your values and morals and no one probably is asking you to. You just added that part mm-hmm. or go in peace, stay in joy or go in peace. There is no third option. And most people have this third option. I'm going to stay in hate. I'm going to stay in judge. I'm going to stay in critique. I'm going to stay in sabotage. I'm going to stay in disengage. There's only two options. If you want to be happy, stay in joy or leave in peace. Right. And that's so important because when I worked as a marriage counselor, so many people would come to me and they really wanted to just come to counseling to stay and remake the point of how their partner had wronged them. Right. And that we don't even have that as an option, right? It's like stay, express feelings, which take about a sentence or so, but the rest is just venting and it's just keeping the feelings alive. It's Mm -hmm. like, if you want to be in a marriage, stay and be loving and kind and everything a good spouse would be when their partner has faltered or leave in peace, but know that whatever you haven't learned to do in this relationship, you'll get to figure out in another. Yeah. Yeah. So what would be really healthy, thoughtful questions to ask oneself if you feel like you're sitting on the edge, if I can stay in joy or leave in peace? How do you decide that so that you're not going into ego? So there's a couple of ways to do it. If you're going to go, do not go until you have mastered the lessons of where you are, until you can go peacefully. So ask yourself, what am I not at peace with in this current position? Mm. What am I not at peace with? And what do I need to um, grow in my skill set, my approach, or my willingness to be able to just be at peace with what is, right? And so how can I unhook and detach from what's happening and not take it personal, not make it about a personal affront? And so a good question for me is if I want, if I'm thinking of leaving, what's unresolved for me here? What lessons did I shy away from? Where did I not have um, courage? Where did I vacillate between passive and aggressive? Um, what have I learned about me? What's my part in the mess? What are my belief systems that had me recreating this again? Because otherwise you're just going to cycle through the next boss will be a jerk. The next boss will be a jerk. Then, so you really have to do that self-inquiry. And if, if, if it really is just about um, time to go, I love Martha Beck's work on shackles on, shackles off. Mm. Like, is this energy building or energy depleting? When I think about coming to work, is it shackles on or is it shackles off? Right. And if it's shackles on, what can I do to graduate my shackles? And the minute you either can't do anything or you're unwilling, go in peace, mm. but be very clear that you don't go looking for better circumstances go looking for how you can grow so that you can move through the world more skillfully. See, mm. people want an easier world and I want people to work, move through the world more skillfully. All right, people, I'm writing that one down. I hope you are too. How you can grow so you work 
work through the world more skillfully. Yeah, move for the world, move through the world more skillfully. Mm-hmm. So let, and I've got a great story about that on how we get confused um, about what happened to us and what our impact is. So awesome. I had a, a really close girlfriend um, through high school and college that, um, I mean, we grew up together. She was just a great friend. She had gotten engaged mm-hmm. to this really cool guy and they were in Memphis um, and she was doing, I think it was during her master's, she was doing the residency in like East Memphis. If you're not from Memphis, um, that's a tougher part of town, or at least it was in the 80s when I was there. And she called me one night and she lived in this tiny little apartment and she was just beside herself and her and her fiance had broken up. He had called up the engagement and she was not just, she wasn't consolable. And I was so worried about her. So as a friend, I'm like, I'm coming down. I was in Des Moines. I raced um, to get on a plane. My family works for the airlines. So you could you know, fly for like five bucks back in the day, show your license, get on a plane. I get to Memphis and it's pretty late at night. And um, I go to her place and there's no signs that she's there. I'm thinking all kinds of stories. Like I hope she didn't do something drastic. I keep calling her. She doesn't answer. Um, I am really now realizing that I overreacted or reacted poorly because I'm down in East Memphis. I don't have a place to sleep. I don't have a lot of money. I'm a college kid. Yeah. I can't find where she is. And you can just, it's getting to be about one in the morning. Mm -hmm. So I go into this bar and I thought, well, I'll have a drink and I'll just keep calling and hopefully she'll answer. And it was the quarter in the phone olden days. <laughs> I'm like, put the quarter in. Every five minutes, I'm going to the pay phone. It falls down when she doesn't answer. Oh Finally, gosh. at about two in the morning, she picks up. And she's like, I'm so glad you're here. Chris and I were talking. Sorry, I didn't take your call. We're back together. Sorry, I overreacted. You made this big trip down. But hey, let's have fun for the weekend. I'm like, ready to kill her. Mm-hmm. But let's have fun for the weekend. So I leave and I um, walk to her place and I'm putting this code in to get past her gate. And this guy comes up and he sticks a gun in my back and he robs me and he takes me to the back alley and he took my grandmother's jewelry. He took my ID. He took all my money. I thought he was going to harm me. We got interrupted. He goes running. I'm basically mugged and uh, I'm in East Memphis. And when I tell that story, I get so much love, but I also get so much collusion because people are like, you poor thing. Right. And you know what? I got mugged and I didn't ask for that and it wasn't my fault, but, and I need to really look at my own choices because if I don't look at my choices, I have to walk the world in fear of being mugged again. Mm -hmm. But here's what I know for sure. If I make different choices, the likelihood of being mugged goes down significantly. Now I told you my victim version of the story, but I need to own it. Otherwise I can't change it. I'm not blaming myself, but I went to Memphis without a plan. I, I said, I stopped in a bar and had a drink. Well, I had quite a few drinks. Mm-hmm. I denied someone's help when they said, it's kind of a dangerous neighborhood. Do you want me to walk you home? A cab stopped by. I denied his help. I refused for him to um, walk me to the door. He even said, you know, can I accompany you? Um, I had been drinking. It probably took me multiple times to put 
the code in the key pad. The guy probably had time to buy a gun permit because I was like <laughs> there for so long. And it wasn't my fault I got mugged. But if I can go back and free myself up of saying, you know what, if I'm not drunk in East Memphis at three in the morning, my odds of getting mugged go way down. Now, this isn't shaming the victim. If you're out drinking and you get raped, people go, what was she expecting? She was expecting a hangover. Like I wasn't expecting right. to get mugged. Don't, don't hear that. But if I can't account for how I got there, I won't have the ability to respond differently. And freedom for me to wander the world more freely comes mm -hmm. with understanding my part in a potential mishap. And that's what I mean by like, when you're there at work, it's so easy to collude with all your colleagues about what a crappy yeah. boss you have. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody wants to weigh in and be a victim supporter when it comes to things like a crappy boss. They do. Always. And I would just add that yeah. you know, Gallup does the study where they say that like most people leave their jobs because they're bad managers. Right. And that reinforces this victim-mindedness, by the way, mm -hmm. because they study a group of people leaving one place. We study the same people leaving their next four places. Mm -hmm. So the first time you hear somebody say, I left my work because of my job, you're like, oh, or my boss, you're like, oh, you might have a crappy boss. But mm -hmm. that same person left job second because they had a crappy boss and job the third job because they had a crappy boss and the job fourth, the fourth job because they had a crappy boss. And then you start thinking, what are the odds that one person can get five crappy bosses in a row? When does it have something to do with the lack of evolution of the person? But those same folks will tell me, well, I want to bring my whole self to work. And I'm like, mm -hmm. you got to start bringing your most evolved self to work mm. because your whole self has that whole ego victimy part. And that's just not serving anybody. Yeah. Okay. So I want to play a little devil's advocate with you. Sure. So from my perspective, and, and it may be part ego, I, I will not deny that. Where I sit, I feel like we don't have a plethora of mindful leaders that are really there serving for the common good and adding value that we have a lot of people that, um, Maybe they're being the, maybe they're doing the best they can. I'll give them that. You're doing the best that you can in your role. But what do you do if you were truly a person who left because say their, say their boss was like freaking crazy. And the next person you land, it happens to be, and you start going, yeah, I'm the common denominator. And <laughs> I keep having crazy bosses. So it might be time to learn to work successfully in the reality that some leaders aren't as evolved as you would prefer. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to look at it. You know, so there, there, I left a marriage, like there's a point where you just come and you just don't go, well, you know, what else do I have to learn here? I left a marriage peacefully because I preferred not to um, be in that marriage. Mm -hmm. There comes a point, though, that so much of this is our story rather than our reality, and our freedom comes from um, in, in enhancing our own skill set, our own approach, our own willingness. Like, um, first, stop judging. Most of the people you're judging harshly are just like you. They're doing the best they can with what they got. Mm -hmm. And there are, you know, when we say most leaders are uninvolved, most humans are uninvolved. 
lot. Yeah. Like we still drink, smoke. Um, we still have war. We still have um, racism. We still have sexism. Right. We still. So if you're going to quit the world that's imperfect, then quit the whole world. Right. Right. Or you can start through your own evolution, understands that life's messy and you can still live happy. Wouldn't it be the ultimate freedom to be able to work for a less than perfect boss um, and do great work anyway out of love and compassion? Like if I believe people should be evolved, I'll go first. I'll try and be the change I wish to, wish to see in the world. And here's what I find out is that mm -hmm. what I'm able to give in the world has a lot less to do with what other people are doing or what the skill level of the people around me are. Um, it has to do with my skill set, my approach, my evolution. Now, I'm not saying if you hate your boss and hate your job, don't go. Yeah. I'm just saying get what you came for. Right. Don't be under the illusion that you're the victim. Mm -hmm. And when you move away, don't move in reaction to something. Move towards something where you feel like you could... Um, fulfill your purpose here in life yeah and a lot of times we aren't living our own purpose and we blame our bosses or our workplace yeah yeah i like that so come get what you came for get so you came, came you grew you learned and now it's time for the next challenge the next opportunity where you feel that you would be better aligned with your skill set yeah and i like to tune into the universe and pay attention when it whispers mine usually has to scream but <laughs> you know for me when i looked at what my future would be like in healthcare, i remember getting promoted and i looked around this table to all these other vps nobody had a tan um nobody had any vacation to speak of that they could talk about and i was just like this is my future to be a pale suited up person sitting in a boardroom talking about numbers Mm -hmm. The universe was telling me, my people were giving me feedback, you might not fit here. My ego was so ticked because I'm mm -hmm. like, you don't think I'm any good. And, and when I just sat back and said, thanks, universe, that's really good advice. I think I'll go out on my own. Um, but I didn't have to do it with anger. That's the part I'm saying is you can do what you need to do. Just drop the grudge. You don't yeah. have to do it with the grudge. Nobody's, right. nobody's doing anything to you. You find reality and you love what is, and or you can stay and argue with reality. But a lot of people are mad. They want to stay and they want the universe to deliver up to them a perfect boss. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, how's the universe doing? Well, they aren't. The universe didn't do that. Well, then who's the idiot here? You're the one staying with a boss you don't prefer to work for. I love that. That is so um, good. Yeah, it's just loosening the ego's grip on your mind because what we do as human beings is we collude with each other at the lowest part of our intelligence, mm -hmm. um, the most certain, least accurate part of the story. And what we need to do as humans, as colleagues, as friends, is hold space for each other to self-reflect mm -hmm. because self-reflection is the ultimate drama diffuser. And there's just all these questions out there. My TEDx, Omaha Talk, I talk about the three questions that helped me in my life, we've talked about two of them, like what do I know for sure and what could I do to help? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, your third question kind of rocked me. You want to I share love it? That question. Yeah, what would great look like? If I were great right now, what would great look like? And, and this question came later for me. So what do I know for sure? That was a go-to, mm -hmm. things aren't as harsh as I think they are. Edit my story, reality is mm -hmm. fine. Mm -hmm. And when you are looking at reality more clearly, then your natural instinct as a human being kicks in. It's like, what could I do to help? But there are some situations where you're like, 
you can't shake that you think this person did you wrong. Right. And you know, you're not in the mood to help. And, and that happened um, to me where this third question came from is um, there was a point in my life that I felt pretty evolved and I was pretty, you know, into what do I knew for sure. And I was helping and I was able just to be very merciful and tolerant and just not judging. I felt like I'd kind of arrived. And then I entered into a whole different chapter of my life. My um, husband at the time dove in a pool and broke his neck. And we entered into this really long rehab together. And we stayed together and my family, my four kids and I worked really hard to help rehab him. And he got better. He recovered. And then he left us. He made choices that just made it impossible for me, according to my values, to remain in the marriage. Right. And so I am sitting there. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I get this guy nursed back to help. He leaves us. The story in the community is I got all successful and left this disabled guy. Like I'm. Oh my Lord. And, and so I'm like, okay, I'm going to be evolved. I need to get my kids through this. And I'm trying to work through this evolved divorce. Yeah. And he is being fueled by this head injury. His anger, he was so angry because his interpretation of the world was pretty corrupted by his head injury. And so he was doing all kinds of um kind of defense mode and his lawyers were instructing him to do a lot of things. And it all came to, to head one night. Um, even in spite of all this stuff going on in my life, I published my first book and I was asked to speak in Chicago at this huge event. It was my biggest keynote ever. So even though my personal life had some challenges, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to focus for this time on this incredible opportunity. So I fly to Chicago and I pull up to this really swanky hotel, the Four Seasons, and you know the bellman comes out and gets my luggage, and I almost like dance to the front desk, and <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and I go to check into my room, and I give them my credit card, and they're like, "Ma'am, I'm sorry, this is declined." I'm like, "No worries, give them my next credit card. It's declined. My next one, mm. it's declined." And I start to put it all together part of what he did was proactively secure any credit so that he could block that off as an asset for our marriage. And I am in Chicago and I have zero money. I have no hotel room, no place to sleep. Tomorrow is my big day. All I had to do is get a good night's sleep, look amazing, and while I'm from stage, it's my big break. Right. And I immediately got to believing my ego. My ego came calling hard. I'm like, he has ruined this big moment for me. He has taken everything from me. He is such a jerk. I, he's an idiot. I'm just, I'm so mad. And I'm sitting there like, I don't have a place to stay. I don't have any money. I don't have a place to shower in the morning. Like, I feel so victimized. And I tried my questions. I'm like, what do I know for sure? And I'm like, I'm pretty sure he's a jerk. Yeah. And I'm like, what can I do to help? I'm like, I don't want to help this guy. Like my <laughs> questions were failing me. Like I preach these questions, they're failing yes. me. And all of a sudden something inside me just rose up and it was a new question just when I needed it the most. It was like giving birth to me. And it's like, Sai, if you were great right now, regardless of your circumstances, if you were great, what would great look like? How can you succeed in spite of your circumstances? Yeah. And when I elevated to that level, I had a whole different view of the world. I'm like, wait a minute, I don't have a place to sleep. I have a rental car. I got back in my rental car. I found a parking lot. I set an alarm. 
I slept there. I need to look like a million bucks. I have no place to shower. Wait a minute. The spa at the hotel has showers. I just waited and piggybacked onto somebody when they went in in the morning. And I'm like, what do I know for sure? What would great look like? Great is taking that stage and being a great mom to my kids, not bad-mouthing their dad, not complaining, just wowing them on stage. Great is sharing my research, my work with the world. Great is moving beyond this pettiness and just saying, I'm going to give energy to what I want to create and stop focusing on why I can't or even why I shouldn't have to. And I did. I went on that stage and it was an amazing um, next level break for my career. And it only came because I was able to manage my energy away from all this low level self ego. I didn't call my girlfriends to complain about my soon to be ex. I didn't even call my lawyer. I didn't want to give it one ounce because I wanted to go be great in the world. And that one question, what would great look like? Just pole vaults me over all this ego story into what would great look like? If I were great right now, what would great look like? And when I come up with it, then I'm just like, go be great. And I started to use these questions to toggle out of low self into high self. And one of my favorite quotes is by Rumi. It says, out beyond the ideas of right doing and wrong doing, there is a field, I'll meet you there. And I've always loved that quote, but it has taken on special meaning for me because when I'm in the part of my mind and my existence that is unlimited and is beyond ego, it's a fabulous field. And I'm meeting a lot of people there that just don't feed into my problem is my boss, my problem is my spouse, my problem is my circumstances. They feed into, they plug into a whole different conduit about what am I here to gift the universe with mm -hmm. and what can I do next to um, move that forward. And it's such a lovelier place to be. I'm a girl that can talk a lot and I'm out of <laughs> words right now. Well, I unfortunately did all the talking, but I, I think you should do more talking because I love this stuff. But you know, it's just for me, I get so passionate about it that. Um, no kidding. What we don't realize is that we are full of illusion and the biggest illusion of all is that we're somehow a victim or separate or um, incapable. You know, I love Marianne Williamson right now running for president of the United States. And she, her quote is, our biggest fear isn't that we're powerless or a victim. Our biggest fear is that we're great beyond measure. Yeah, that's such a great quote. But that story you just told is so raw and so real. And I know it strikes so many people who have walked through a similar circumstance, but it's so powerful because you're not just dishing, hey, here's a couple of questions to help you navigate you know, your life. You're actually living it and sharing the lesson that you learned and saying, okay, what would great look like right now? is a heavy question because sometimes you, you're not really even sure. You know what it's not, but you're you know not sure not. what it is. I'm going to work times, really hard to do that. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of times, I mean, we really have to sit and meditate with that question because it's not what I want, what I prefer, what I think right is. It's like, what would great look like if I were great? Like? like every autobiography I've read of heroes I've admired, like what would my spiritual teachers do? Like what would great look like? 
And we ask ourselves that a lot as a staff, because I would tell you that a lot of us do know a lot about what great would look like. Unfortunately, we use that information to judge other people on. I know what great looks like is what you're not doing. It's what that boss we talked about today is yeah. not doing. Like people know what great looks like. Unfortunately, they use it to judge other people on instead of call themselves up to greatness. Mm-hmm. And that's why when I say stay in that situation and learn what you've got, stop using what great looks like to judge other people on and use it to call yourself to greatness. And what you'll find is all those details you're so bogged down into what the world wasn't providing for you just don't even matter. You know what I love about that question too, is that if you can sit with a couple minutes and, you know, a notebook, you could literally dream. It gives you permission to dream of what your own greatness in that moment or visioning for the future would look like. Okay, Absolutely. so everybody, we will be sending out a bill for this podcast because <laughs> no. that was life-changing right there. <laughs> and unfortunately, I've got to um, move on to my next uh, call, but I would love for people, of guy. course, to share this episode so we yes. get a ton more people listening to this yes. podcast. 100%. It's all going to be linked below in the show notes. Cy Wakeman, and she spells her name C-Y and Wakeman traditional spelling. Thank you so much for your time today, Sai. You are just a joy and a treasure, and I love the work that you're doing. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. I'm honored. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye now. So the million-dollar question is, if you were great right now, what would it look like? I hope you enjoyed this episode. I thought it was pretty doggone epic. I'm a huge fan of Sai Wakeman's and her work. Everything is linked for you below in the show notes. Please go visit her. Tell her you heard her here and share this content out. Help somebody else get the breakthrough that they need and leave us a review. I really appreciate it. And as always, friends, until next time, I wish you every good thing.